Section 2. The Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner Written by Himself by James Hogg This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The next day at breakfast, the bride was long in making her appearance. Her maid asked to see her, but George did not choose that anybody should see her but himself. He paid her several visits and always turned the key as he came out. At length, breakfast was served, and during the time of refreshment, the laird tried to break several jokes, but it was remarked that they wanted their accustomed brilliancy, and that his nose was particularly red at the top. Matters, without all doubt, had been very bad between the new married couple, for in the course of the day the lady deserted her quarters and returned to her father's house in Glasgow, after having been a night on the road, stagecoaches and steamboats having then no existence in that quarter. Though Bailey Ord had acquiesced in his wife's asservation regarding the likeness of their only daughter to her father, he never loved or admired her greatly. Therefore, this behavior nothing astounded him. He questioned her strictly as to the grievous offense committed against her, and could discover nothing that warranted a procedure so fraught with disagreeable consequences. So, after mature deliberation, the bailey addressed her as follows. Aye, aye, Rabbi. And say I find the doll castle has actually refused to say prayers with you when you ordered him, and has gitted you in a rude, indelicate manner, outstepping the respect due to my daughter. As my daughter! But we regard to what is due to his own wife. Of that he's a better judge nor me. However, since he has behaved in that manner to my daughter, I shall be revenged on him for ain'ts, for I shall return the obligation to ain nearer to him. That is, I shall take pennyworths of his wife, and let him lick at that. W what do you mean, sir? said the astonished damsel. I mean to be revenged on that villain doll castle, said he, for what he has done to my daughter. Come hither, Mrs. Calwain, you shall pay for this. So saying, the bailey began to inflict corporal punishment on the runaway wife. His strokes were not indeed very deadly, but he made a mighty flourish in the infliction, pretending to be in a great rage only at the laird of Dalcastle. Villain that he is! exclaimed he. I shall teach him to behave in such a manner to a child of mine, be she as she may. Since I cannot get at him himself, I shall lounder her that is nearest to him in life. Take you that, and that, Mrs. Colwain, for your husband's impertinence. The poor afflicted woman wept and prayed, but the bailey would not abate aught of his severity. After fuming and beating her with many stripes, far drawn and lightly laid down, 
he took her up to her chamber, five stories high, locked her in, and there he fed her on bread and water, all to be revenged on the presumptuous laird of Dalcastle. But ever and anon, as the bailey came down the stair from carrying his daughter's meal, he said to himself, I shall make the sight of the laird the blithest she ever saw in her life. Lady Dalcastle got plenty of time to read and pray and meditate, but she was at a great loss for one to dispute with about religious tenets, for she found that, without this advantage, about which there was a perfect rage at that time, the reading and learning of scripture texts and sentences of intricate doctrine availed her not. So she was often driven to sit at her casement and look out for the approach of the heathenish laird of Dal Castle. That hero, after a considerable lapse of time, at length made his appearance. Matters were not hard to adjust, for his lady found that there was no refuge for her in her father's house, and so, after some sighs and tears, she accompanied her husband home. For all that had passed, things went on no better. She would convert the laird in spite of his teeth. The laird would not be converted. She would have the laird to say family prayers, both morning and evening. The laird would neither pray morning nor evening. He would not even sing psalms and kneel beside her while she performed the exercise. Neither would he converse at all times and in all places about the sacred mysteries of religion. Although his lady took occasion to contradict flatly every assertion that he made, in order that she might spiritualize him by drawing him into argument, the laird kept his temper a long while, but at length his patience wore out. He cut her short in all her futile attempts at spiritualization, and mocked at her wire-drawn degrees of faith, hope, and repentance. He also dared to doubt of the great standard doctrine of absolute predestination, which put the crown on the lady's Christian resentment. She declared her helpmate to be a limb of Antichrist and one with whom no regenerated person could associate. She therefore bespoke a separate establishment, and before the expiry of the first six months, the arrangements of the separation were amicably adjusted. The upper, or third story of the old mansion house, was awarded to the lady for her residence. She had a separate door, a separate stair, a separate garden, and walks that in no instance intersected the lairds, so that one would have thought the separation complete. They had each their own parties, selected from their own sort of people, and though the laird never once chafed himself about the lady's companions, it was not long before she began to intermeddle about some of his. Who is that fat, bouncing dame that visits the laird so often and always by herself, said she to her maid Martha one day. Oh dear, mem, how can I ken? 
We're banished, fray our acquaintances here. As weel is fray the sweet gospel ordinances. Find me out who that jolly dame is, Martha. You, who hold communion with the household of this ungodly man, can be at no loss to attain this information. I observe that she always casts her eye up toward our windows, both in coming and going, and I suspect that she seldom departs from the house empty-handed. That same evening, Martha came with the information that this August visitor was a Miss Logan, an old and intimate acquaintance of the Laird's, and a very worthy, respectable lady of good connections whose parents had lost their patrimony in the Civil Wars. Ha! Very well, said the lady. Very well, Martha. But nevertheless, go thou and watch this respectable lady's motions and behavior the next time she comes to visit the laird. And the next after that, you will not, I see, lack opportunities. Martha's information turned out of that nature that prayers were said in the uppermost story of Doll Castle House against the Canaanitish woman. Every night and every morning, and great discontent prevailed there, even to the anathemas and tears. Letter after letter was dispatched to Glasgow, and at length, to the lady's great consolation, the Reverend Mr. Ringham arrived safely and devoutly in her elevated sanctuary. Marvelous was the conversation between these gifted people. Ringham had held in his doctrines that there were eight different kinds of faith, all perfectly distinct in their operations and effects. But the lady, in her secluded state, had discovered another five, making twelve in all. The adjusting of the existence or fallacy of these five faiths served for a most enlightened discussion of nearly seventeen hours in the course of which the two got warm in their arguments, always in proportion as they receded from nature, utility, and common sense. Ringham at length got into unwanted fervor about some disputed point between one of these faiths and trust. When the lady, fearing that zeal was getting beyond its wanton barrier, broke in on his vehement asservations with the following abrupt discomfiture, but, sir, as long as I remember, what is to be done with this case of open and avowed inequity? The minister was struck dumb. He leaned him back on his chair, stroked his beard, hemmed, considered, and hemmed again, and then said in an altered and softened tone, Why? That is a secondary consideration. You mean the case between your husband and Miss Logan? The same, sir. I am scandalized at such intimacies going on under my nose. The sufferance of it is a great and crying evil. Evil, madam, may be either operative or passive. To them it is an evil, but to us none. 
We have no more to do with the sins of the wicked and unconverted here than with those of an infidel Turk. For all earthly bonds and fellowships are absorbed and swallowed up in the holy community of the Reformed Church. However, if it is your wish, I shall take him to task and reprimand and humble him in such a manner that he shall be ashamed of his doings and renounce such deeds forever out of mere self-respect, though all unsanctified the heart as well as the deed may be. To the wicked, all things are wicked, but to the just, all things are just and right. Ah, that is a sweet and comfortable saying, Mr. Ringham. How delightful to think that a justified person can do no wrong. Who would not envy the liberty wherewith we are made free? Go to my husband, that poor unfortunate blindfolded person, and open his eyes to his degenerate and sinful state, for well are you fitted to the task. Yea, I will go in unto him and confound him. I will lay the strongholds of sin and Satan as flat before my face as the dung that is spread out to fatten the land. Master, there's a gentleman at the fore-door wants a private ward o' ye. Tell him I'm engaged. I can't see any gentleman tonight, but I shall attend on him tomorrow as soon as he pleases. He's coming straight in, sir. Stop a wee bit, sir. My master is engaged. He cannot see you at present, sir. Stand aside, thou Moabite. My mission admits of no delay. I come to save him from the jaws of destruction. And that be the case, sir, it makes a wide difference. And as the danger may threaten to say, I fancy I may as well let ye yang by as fight ye wee. Sim ye see say intent on it. The man says he's coming to save ye and cannot stop. Sir, here he is. The laird was going to break out into a volley of wrath against Waters, his servant. But before he got a word pronounced, the Reverend Mr. Ringham had stepped inside the room, and Waters had retired, shutting the door behind him. No introduction could be more mal a propos. It was impossible, for at that very moment, the Laird and Arabella Logan were both sitting on one seat and both looking on one book when the door opened. What is it, sir? said the Laird fiercely. A message of the greatest importance, sir, said the Divine, striding unceremoniously up to the chimney, turning his back to the fire and his face to the culprits. I think you should know me, sir, continued he, looking displeasedly at the laird with his face half turned round. I think I should, returned the laird. You are Mr. Howes Tekayim of Glasgow, who did me the worst turn ever I got done to me in my life. You, gentry, are always ready to do a man such a turn. Pray, sir, did you ever do a good job for anyone to counterbalance that? For if you have not, you ought to be. Hold, sir, I say. 
none of your profanity before me. If I do evil to anyone on such occasions, it is because he will have it so. Therefore, the evil is not of my doing. I ask you, sir, before God and this witness, I ask you, have you kept solemnly and inviolate the vows which I laid upon you that day? Answer me! Has the partner whom you bound me to kept hers inviolate? Answer me that, sir. None can better do so than you, Mr. Howes decay you. So then, you confess your backslidings and avow the prolificacy of your life. And this person here is, I suppose, the partner of your inequity. She whose beauty hath cost you to err. Stand up, both of you, till I rebuke you and show you what you are in the eyes of God and man. In the first place, stand you still there, till I tell you what you are in the eyes of God and man. You are, sir, a presumptuous, self-conceited pedagogue, a stirrer up of strife and commotion in church, in state, in families and communities. You are one, sir, whose righteousness consists in splitting the doctrines of Calvin into thousands of undistinguishable films, and in setting up a system of justifying grace against all breaches of all laws, moral or divine. In short, sir, you are a mildew, a cankerworm in the bosom of the Reformed Church, generating a disease of which she will never be purged but by the shedding of blood. Go thou in peace, and do these abominations no more, but humble thyself, lest a worse reproof come upon thee. End of section 2